Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly episodes for everything covering movies, TV, music, and video games. Not necessarily in that order. My name's Mike. His name is not here. Matt is not here with us today. It's just solo cast by yours truly, which means we don't have to do anything in regards to a cold open. We can just get right into the news and we start the news with the music section and we start the music section with the Billboard Hot 100. And coming in at number one, once again, Break My Soul by Beyonce uh, at two as it was by Harry Styles, moving up one slot, uh, which means coming in at three, About Damn Time by Lizzo. Uh, Staying at number four, running up that hill, A Deal with God by Kate Bush, and rounding out your top five, a new song, a new entering, Ah, 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 Staying Alive by DJ Khaled, but really it's Drake and Lil Baby, although I thought we got rid of Lil Baby. Maybe not. Uh, but yeah, those are your top five for your Billboard Hot 100. As for the Billboard 200, your albums chart. Beyonce, no longer your number one album. Coming in at number one is Un Verano Sin Ti by Bad Booney. Coming in at two, uh, debuting at number two, The Last Slime Toe, or Slime Two, uh, by Young Boy, Never Broke Again. At three, it is Renaissance by Beyonce. And then coming in at number four, Dangerous, the double album by Morgan Wallen. And rounding out your top five, Harry's House by Harry Styles. If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases, including God Did by DJ Khaled. That's right. It's another one. Uh, coming in at two, uh, coming in also release releasing this week is Will of the People by Muse. Yes, that Muse with another album. Uh, We also have Drift by Pianos Become the Teeth. Moonchild Mixes by Selena. Yes, that Selena, not Selena Gomez, 90s singer Selena. That is a posthumous release. Um, Undercover by Valerie June. And Songs Without Jokes by Brett McKenzie. Uh, Brett McKenzie is of Flight of the Concords fame. The other Flight of the Concords guy uh, coming out with the album Songs Without Jokes. So those are your new releases. Let's get right into the music news. And even though it's August, I forgot to say, it's August, it's 8. Today's episode is uh, 3.45. Um, Today's date is 8.20. But... We're talking about Christmas songs because Mariah Carey is in the news trying to trademark the title Queen of Christmas, believing she is synonymous with Christmas thanks to her enduring 1994 hit, All I Want for Christmas is You. Oh, baby. And yes, that is the terrible karaoke version everyone does of that song. However... The singer's request has been met with opposition. At least one artist is taking legal action to block it. Christmas songwriter Elizabeth Chan is a full-time songwriter who has been dubbed 
the Queen of Christmas as her lawyers at Wilmer Hale, Hale Law Firm say. According to an interview published, published in December of last year, 2021, Chan says she is only notable she is the only notable singer songwriter who only creates original holiday songs meanwhile grammy winner darlene love posted on facebook about the queen of christmas title stating that quote david letterman officially declared me the queen of christmas 29 years ago a full year before mariah carey released her song, All I Want for Christmas is You. And at the age of 81 years, she's not changing anything. Um, for those who don't know, Darlene Love performed her 1963 Christmas song, Christmas, Baby Please Come Home, every year for nearly three decades on David Letterman's uh, show. So we got a bit of a controversy here. Um, of who is exactly the Queen of Christmas. I think this is actually a legal standpoint for Mariah Carey in possibly putting out an album that says the Queen of Christmas and putting on a full album of Christmas songs as it is that time of year. So this is just to get a trademark of the title for her album. Now, do note that there's a difference between the registered trademark and a regular trademark um, in terms of what is allowed versus um, where you can like put it on like a shirt, t-shirt, album sales, that kind of stuff versus who owns the actual trademark of the song or the name of those words or phrases. So Mariah Carey is going for Queen of Christmas as the phrase, as the title. Don't know if she has a full legal stance to stand on here because there are other artists out there who have had longer longevity of Christmas hits will be interesting to see because, you know, here on the Meterville Podcast, we love our legal battles. As for our other story in music news, uh, the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert is rapidly approaching. We are mere two weeks away now from the Wembley Stadium um, concert, uh, which is on September 3rd. Uh, and we now know that if you are unable to purchase a ticket and attend the concert in person, there will indeed be a live stream of the event. Paramount Plus will stream the Taylor Hawkins Tribute Concert live beginning at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time on, on September 3rd at Wembley Stadium in London. The telecast will be directed by Joel Galen and produced by Emmer Patton, for Epic Films and Creative. Bruce Gilmer, president of music, music talent, programming, and events at Paramount um, and Paramount Plus, said in a statement, quote, together with the Foo Fighters and the Hawkins family, we look forward to leveraging Paramount's global scale to mirror Taylor's worldwide impact through this special tribute concert for audiences everywhere. The new list of figures who are set to appear during uh, this event include Travis Barker, Martin Chambers, Stuart Copeland, Josh Fries, Violet Grohl, Justin Hawkins, James Gong, Brian Johnson, Kesha, Luke Spiller, 
Lars Ulrich and Taylor Hawkins' son, Shane, who uh, recently performed the Foo Fighters' My Hero as a tribute to his late father at a block party in July earlier this year. So this may be the thing that gets people to sign up for Paramount+. Plus. You know, if it wasn't the Halo series, if it wasn't for Star Trek, if it wasn't for South Park, if it wasn't for uh, the Grammys, if it wasn't for the Tonys, if all of that didn't get you to sign for Paramount+, Plus, one, maybe Paramount Plus just isn't for you, but two, if you want to see the Taylor Hawkins concert and don't have money to either travel to Wembley or, you know, don't have to want to see the second concert, which is going to be in L.A., or can't afford to, you can view it via Paramount Plus Live and participate in the shared experience. But that's in two weeks. Um, and that's all the music news I have. There was a little thing about Adele uh, talking about how she wasn't um, ready and didn't think there was enough soul in her Las Vegas show, which is why she had to cancel it. But don't have time to get into that. Because that feels more of a personal issue. Uh, speaking of personal issues, Panic! At the Disco put out a new album, Viva Las Vengeance. Uh, this is going to be their seventh studio album, last, uh, which was released as of yesterday. I had a chance to listen to it. And I do have to say that it's very Panic! At the Disco. It's very Brandon Yuri, And it's very much a lot of reframe a lot of stadium chants, a lot of things you're going to tour on. This is a touring album. This is an album that's going to get you up out of your seats, going to get you to dance, going to get you to move, going to get you to sing along with Brandon Urie and the rest of the Panic at the Disco. This is an album that is all not very complex. It's a simple album. It's a pop rock album. Uh, if you listen to Panic at the Disco before, you pretty much know what you're getting into by this point. A lot of the songs, especially when you get towards the later half of the album, just do the, a lot of the refrain over and over and over again. It does take a lot of the 70s vibes, a lot of rock inspired by like Queen, um, a lot inspired from like uh, Bookie and Rhapsody, a lot inspired from the Beatles, uh, especially when you get to a song about Maggie, where it's basically running on a loop, but then does like a reverb on it. Very interesting, very fascinating. I kind of dug it, but then it just felt like at points it did kind of drag on a bit. Like, okay, I get it. Is there anything else to this or is this all that there is? And pretty much that's all that there is. Not necessarily my favorite Panic! at the Disco album, but something that if you are a fan, it's definitely something that they're going to tour on. It's definitely going to get you moving and grooving to Panic! at the Disco. And since Matt isn't here to talk about any of his thoughts, uh, we'll just go right ahead and move into video games. And we start with new releases. Coming out this week, you can get your hands on Saints Row. Uh, Debated if this is like Saints Row reboot, rebooted, uh, it's not a remaster. It's a completely new Saints Row game, basically starting from scratch. Uh, And it's available everywhere but the Switch. Um, we also have Midnight Fight Express for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. F1 Manager 2022 for everything but the Switch. F1 is Formula One Racing. If you didn't want to race, you can be the manager instead in F1 Manager 2022. 
We also have SD Gundam Battle Alliance, which is another Gundam uh, big mech game coming out for everything. As well as Pac-Man World Repack for everything as well. Those are your two wide releases. And also we have Soul Hackers 2 for PS5, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Um, your big release of this week is, of course, Saints Row. I will try to get my hands on it. I think Matt will indeed get his hands on it. And we'll talk about that next week. But for now, let's get right into the uh, video game news. And we start with a little bit of a dual story coming out of last week's release of Marvel's Spider-Man Remastered for the PC. So, some people have gone and looked into the code of the PC game and have seen references to a PlayStation PC launcher which have been found within the files of Marvel's Spider-Man Remastered suggesting that such a platform could be in Sony's future plans. This follows the discovery that Sony could be planning to introduce PlayStation Network integration to its PC games. While neither Marvel Spider-Man nor any other PlayStation Studios PC game currently allows connectivity with PSN accounts, Spider-Man's files contain multiple references to PSN account linked, and PSN linking entitlements. It is possible that these references could suggest a bespoke version of the PlayStation Store that could come to PC. This, coupled with the references of to account integration, could eventually lead to cross-purchasing for titles on the PS5 and PC. This could also mean that there's an actual like PlayStation PC store and launcher similar to Epic Store, Steam Store, Microsoft Store, getting a store for the PlayStation front on your computer. Now, whether this means that they're going to take a cue from Xbox route and have both Xbox and PC and PlayStation PC games where you can buy one and play on the other is yet to be seen. It's yet to be known. It'd be nice if that's what Sony did, it would be a nice thought, but nothing is set in stone. They've not come out and confirmed anything about this. Right now, it's all kind of speculation, but the fact that there is code, especially in a in-house first-person party of Spider-Man, of Marvel Spider-Man remastered for the PC, that it was put in there specifically to have this work day one which means that it's in the work, it's in the process, and it's not going to be patched in later. It's being built in with the game. So hopefully we'll see some news uh, by holiday season. If not, um, I think the next big one is Tokyo Game Show in September in a couple of weeks. But that wasn't the only Spider-Man, re- uh, Marvel Spider-Man remastered news. No, but... Because it is now available on the PC, that means modders now get their hands on the PC version and get to enhance the game to their liking. Well, maybe not to everyone's liking, because with the release of Marvel Spider-Man Remastered, it has undoubtedly resulted in the modding community getting 
you know, the chance to put their spin on the game. However, one modder took it as a chance to replace the very few pride flags the game has within uh, its the game the game has with that of the USA flag texture from the game. The mod was removed from Nexus mods, and the author was banned due to uh, using a sock puppet account. Uh, the what a sock puppet account is that someone has their main account. Um, they use it to mod and become known as that author. But if they think that something is going to get banned or something that's going to get um, be controversial and don't want to put on their main account, then they use then they create a entirely new separate account just to put that one mod onto it. Uh, quote: The fact that the user needed to make a sock puppet like a coward to upload the mod showed their intent to troll and that they knew it would not be allowed, wrote the Nexus Mods. Um, they went on to say that the company stands for inclusivity and diversity. Quote, As a private business, we have a right to choose what content we do and do not want to host on our platform. If this policy upsets you, if we've broken some moral code of conduct as a business that you can't accept, then please delete your account and move on as we will. So this is an example of mods and the modding community basically standing up to uh, these anti-LGBT mods saying that, no, like, yes, you can mod your game into any which way you want, but to specifically target one aspect of the game to remove its content is can be seen as hateful and spiteful. Um, Nexus Mods is a privately owned business. They can put they can publish whatever they want or whatever the users want. It does go through a review process. Um, not much more we can say about it, but I mean, like, be nice to people. It's, there's like already like so few um, LGBTQ plus here and representation. Representation matters. We stated that here on the Media Bell podcast several times that we're that we are pro inclusivity. We are pro um, diversity. People should have their voices out and heard. So this is a good portion on the mods. Good job. Uh, let's see here. That's all that we have for video game news. So let's get into some thoughts then. I've played a few games. Actually, I finished a game. Um, I finished uh, book two for As Dusk Falls. And I gotta say, not a complete game. As it leaves it on a cliffhanger. Unknown right now if there's going to be a book three version. Right now there's uh, the initial game comes out with a book one and a book two version. Both are very compatible, um, they're self-contained stories, but it does leave the door open for more stories to be told. There's definitely a lot of loose end threads, and most of my thoughts haven't really changed much from my initial review of it. It's very much a choose-your-own-adventure, but if the adventure and the choices, like I said, eventually lead around back to a single conclusion, or it doesn't really like branch off and make other like choices matter or different then 
it's something that doesn't really completely work as a story narrative. Yes, it does eventually lock like new endings and stuff. Uh, but yeah. there's never like one like true ending. Like you're eventually gonna get to a point where the story has to be self-contained enough to where it doesn't affect other people's storylines as much. It's it is what it is. I don't know if it's like one of the best games I've played that people have been praising, especially with the art style. Uh, but it's something worth checking out. It's definitely there. Um, interesting to see if book three, four, or however much they want to go eventually changes my mind. But at this point, like going back into the game, it feels like trying to specifically manipulate in order to get other results, which is good, is bad, depending on how you, how you played initially and how you, you, feel, you felt at the end. Another game I played combines two of the games that are two genres that I'm interested in. Rocket League and golf. Well, if you take Rocket League, your car, and you hit the ball into a hole like golf. Put those together, you get Turbo Golf Racing, uh, currently available on um, Xbox uh, Game Pass, PC Game Pass. And that's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, instead of RC car, instead of you controlling a car, trying to put it into a goal, into a net, and other people are trying to block you, you're controlling your own ball on these ridiculous courses, trying to get it down to the end to make the ball into the hole. I did a little uh, test stream of this the other day. You can find it on our Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv backslash mediaboat. Uh, while it's available, you can go down there. You can go and see it there. It's fine. It looks exactly as as I described. Exactly what you want out of it. It it's I think it's pretty much free to play. It does have a season pass and other like accessories and um, mods and uh, literally have skins for your cars that you can uh, create and make yourself uh, unique. But it's Rocket League for golf. Not much more to say about it. Um, I mean, I like that you don't have other people trying to, like, hit your ball, like, away and, like, try and ruin your shot. But then again, if you're not that good at controlling RC, uh, controlling your car, it's not really going to matter as much. Um, so, you know, if you're good at Rocket League, you might be good at Turbo Golf Racing. Um, check it out. It's exactly what it sounds like. At Rocket League but for golf. Uh, and as I mentioned before, next week we'll have thoughts on Saints Row. Uh, I know Matt will have thoughts. Not sure if I will get my hands on it or not. Hopefully. All right. So with that out of the way, we are cruising right through this podcast and going right into television. And we start with the sports corner. I think it's that way. Sports Corner. All right. And the big news coming out in the NFL is Deshaun Watson. Uh, the NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to up Deshaun Watson's um, suspension from six games to 11 games and have now included an additional $5 million fine. Uh, that fine is going to be added to a $1 million donation 
from the NFL and $1 million donation from the Browns organization to make $7 million um, going to domestic abuse funds. So, do I wish he was still, uh, you know, suspended the whole season? Yeah. Does Calvin Ridley believe he believe he should be suspended the whole season? Probably. Uh, but at least it's better than it was before, the six games. Um, that 11 games uh, means that he the next time he will step onto the field will be the Browns versus his former team, the Texans, in December. Um, he also has is officially excused from uh, the Browns organization without pay from starting immediately up until, I think he can come back in October, like end, either end of October or November to return to practices and training with the Browns. So it's something better. Um, please keep in note that these are all indictments against Watson. He still has to go through the actual trial and criminal procedures. Uh, same thing with Alvin Kamara and his incident with um, fighting during the All-Star game or the, during the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas from last year. He currently is scheduled to play. There's no suspension looking for Kamara, uh, but will probably be taken into the offseason next year. And with that, wrapping up the NFL news, get your fantasy uh, teams ready. Drafts are happening between this week and next week. Um, and I want to say the week after, too. Yeah. So between the next three weeks, fantasy drafts are happening. Get your news and notes in. Make sure you get your, your uh, sheets ready, and hopefully you do good drafts. Uh, next up in uh, sports news, Little League World Series continues. You can catch that on ESPN. And speaking of ESPN and the Manning Company, Omaha Productions, they've actually partnered with Gronk and his brothers to have a Gronk cast for UFC events, and they've also partnered with Pat McAfee for a college football cast um, coming up this season. I believe that Gronkcast starts tonight with a UFC event. And then the Pat McAfee um, college football will start next week when college football starts. Um, with that in mind, actually, uh, the AP poll for college football has come out and your top school no surprise alabama at number one followed by the ohio state at two and rounding out uh your top five is georgia at three clemson at four and notre dame at five um also of note that i saw this morning former million dollar quarterback and recent transfer from the Ohio State to Texas, Quentin Ewers, going now by Quinn Ewers, is officially started slated as the starter for Texas football. All that is of note because Arch Manning uh, has declared for Texas as well. We'll see how that goes when he gets into college next year. But, we're not done with sports because we can roll right into TV news with the Big Ten. That is the sports conference 
um, for college football, or for the NCAA, and they have struck a new deal. Fox, CBS, NBC, and Peacock will spend more than $1 billion annually over seven years for the rights to Big Ten football, basketball, and other sports. The media rights agreement, which begins July 1st next year of 2023, will run through the 2029-2030 season for seven years. CBS's initial season uh, will be next year and include seven football games and will go to 15 through the following years. Um, they will also include both regular season and postseason men's basketball action along with Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament uh, Final, which is appearing on CBS for the first time. Every CBS Big Ten football and basketball broadcast will also be streamed on Paramount+. Fox, meanwhile, has renewed its agreement to televise football and men's basketball games uh, for each season, with the opportunity to carry additional sports throughout the year. For me, that line is important because that means that they can carry any other Big Ten sports that they want throughout the year. Um, so they can now block out all year on Saturday Big Ten sports, whether it be water polo, lacrosse, soccer, baseball, Big Ten sports, Big Ten action. Fox will become the home for Big Ten plays. Um, this is important to note because starting next year, UCLA and USC will join the Pac-10, or the Big Ten, leaving the Pac-12, joining the Big Ten. And so they'll have plays, Fox will have plays from coast to coast, from East Coast, from New York to Chicago to LA, through the three big markets. Um, and then there's NBC. So NBC will produce 14 to 16 games on broadcast television each season as it introduces college football fans to the new logo of Big Ten Saturday Night. Each Big Ten game on NBC broadcast will also be simul-streamed on Peacock. Um, meanwhile, speaking of Peacock, they will deliver exclusive Big Ten football and basketball games each season as eight regular season football games will appear on the platform along with as many as 47 regular men's basketball games, meaning 32 conference and 15 non-conference, and 30 regular season women's basketball games of 20 in-conference and 10 non-conference. What the Big Ten has essentially done is that they've taken the NFL model of having games on CBS, Fox, and NBC and said, you know, that's working for the NFL. Let's just do that, but for Saturdays because no one's doing it for Saturdays. So they made a deal with these big three networks. So you're going to get your CBS broadcast at 10 a.m. or 9 a.m., your Fox broadcast at noon, Coming and then finishing it off with your NBC broadcast at four, at four o'clock or six o'clock, five o'clock, for the night broadcast. 
I just have a whole day, Saturday, of Big Ten football. Smart move by the Big Ten. Not only that, but it also includes the streaming rights. Uh, so you can get this on Paramount+. Plus. Maybe another reason to get Paramount+. Plus. And Peacock. Maybe another reason to get Peacock. Uh, but college football is now starting to be conglomerated into the two big uh, sections. The Big Ten and the SEC. As teams from the ACC are kind of merging now into the SEC and it's expanding. So you're going to have two big... This is what we warned about a couple of weeks ago. Um, when we first broke the news about UCLA-USC joining the Big Ten, that eventually you're going to have these two powerhouse NCAA conferences, and they're just going to come from each other and face each other into uh, the into the college football playoffs. I mean, as noted, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson are all SEC, ACC, and those are your three of the top five teams. Um, and the Texas sitting right outside in uh, at number six. So, yeah, powerhouse of SEC and Big Ten trying to compete with them, especially in broadcasting and streaming rights now, for $7 billion over the course of seven years. Exciting time for college football fans. I'm excited to see where this is going to go. And if this becomes the new standard, I'm all for it. Now, we got to get to some sad news. So, last week we talked about HBO Max and how a lot of stuff got quickly got axed, uh, including the uh, Batgirl film and other stuff was starting to be shoveled away um, so that way they could write it off as a loss so they could not turn a profit on it. Well, HBO Max has removed... 36 more shows and movies from its platform, including a lot of kids and family content, such as Sesame Street's uh, spinoff, The Not Too Late Show with Elmo, and Cartoon Network shows OKKO, Let's Be Heroes, Infinity Train, and Summer Camp Island, as well as the live-action teen drama Generation. Now, not only have these shows been removed, but the turnaround from the announcement to the actual removal date was so quick that many fans barely had time to react. This has all been a part of Warner Brothers Discovery's latest move to turn a profit, uh, following the announcement last week of the company laying off 14% of its staff at HBO Max and canceling the upcoming Batgirl film. Warner Brothers Discovery has not officially said why they picked these particular shows to remove, but one theory out there is that it's so they don't have to pay residuals to cast and crew behind HBO Max original content. Now, if you want to legally support your these shows and your favorite shows, you can still purchase a lot of these episodes on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play for now. Uh, some DVD sets are available through third-party sellers, but... If you're trying to, this is why we, we have to be able to podcast advocate for physical media because you don't own anything streaming. You just get the right to view it. You don't physically own it. 
Um, so if they want to take it off, put it in their vault, then they have the right to do that. As we reported last week, most of there's a uh, tax break for anything that doesn't turn a profit that they can write off as a loss. So that's kind of what they're doing here is that if, if they take it off, they can't sell it anywhere. They put it into a vault never to be seen again. Um, it's just eventually becomes lost media. Now, the full list of these 36, 36 shows include 12 dates of Christmas, About Last Night, Aquaman, King of Atlantis, Media Boat Favorite, Close Enough, Detention Adventure, Dodo, the recently announced Ellen's Next Great Designer, um, Elliot from Earth, SM, SME and Roy, The Fungies, both Generation and Generation Hustle, Media Boat Favorite Infinity Train, Little Ellen, Mau Mau, Heroes of the Pure Heart, Messi Goes to Hokkaido, wow, I messed that one up, Messi Goes to Hokkaido, Mia's Magic Playground, Mighty Magiswords, My Dinner with Herb, My Mom, Your Dad, Odo, the aforementioned OKKO, Let's Be Heroes, The Ollie and Moon Show, Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures, Ravi Patel's Pursuit of Happiness, Make It Big, Make It Small, Share, Squirmish, Summer Camp Island, the aforementioned The Not Too Late Show with Elmo, the Runaway Bunny, which is a special. Theodosia. Tig and Seek. Uncle Grandpa. Victor and Valentino. Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs. As well as 200 Sesame Street specials. All of it completely removed from HBO Max. You can no longer stream them on HBO Max. That means that a lot of these content, which was HBO Max originals, like Close Enough, like Infinity Train, no longer anywhere. Gone. Uh, they've removed any content, any mention of it from their YouTube, from their social media. It's all been erased. Wiped, erased from existence as if it never happened. So they can use it as a write-off. And this obviously sucks for all those animators who put on put in work, put in time, put in the hours to create these shows just for it to be cast aside, locked away as if they don't matter. And that's the way Warner Brothers Discovery is kind of treating this, is that animation doesn't matter. As we reported two weeks ago during an earnings call, that they see HBO Max as male-centric and Discovery Plus as female-centric, that when they eventually combine the two, well, into a new platform starting next year that it's going to be both male-dominated and female-dominated and that all that family, uh, kids and family content is just being lopped off, cut, thrown to the wayside, cast aside, just completely burned 
at this point, and it sucks because a lot of these shows are great shows, like OK KO. We've talked about a lot, a lot of these shows on this very podcast. We advocate for, um, for animation that is not just for kids. That there is adult animation out there. There's a need for it, and to see all of these shows immediately cast aside uh, is just it's painful. It's not like oh, like we're gonna put this for um, DVD or Blu-ray so you can have this eventually. No, this is just eventually becomes lost media. Note, write it down right here. In five years, ten years time, you're gonna see shows, you're gonna see specials, you're gonna see something about this exact event and what happened and like this basically someone doing a deep dive into this essentially lost media of HBO Max. It becomes a stain on their legacy. I think you got my soapbox there. Kind of, uh, sorry, went on a little rant there against HBO Max. Uh, but yeah, I'm really, it's David Zaslav, uh, this current CEO. Uh, we didn't realize that this was going to happen when they brought in the CEO from Discovery Plus to run the Warner Brothers division, but the axe is going everywhere. They're just cutting them up one by one. All right. Let's get to some lighter news then. Well, not news. Those are the two news stories. Um, I've watched some stuff. Um, let's talk about uh, the Netflix show, The Sandman. Neil Gaiman's The Sandman officially turned into a Netflix show. I had really no intention of watching this, but a couple people said I probably should watch it. Uh, so I bit the bullet. I watched it. And I don't see what people are hyped about on this show. Uh, it, the first three episodes go by real quickly. They're their own uh, like self-contained episodes. It's here's the loss. Here's what you lose. The second episode is here's how you break free and find everything. Third episode is, okay, now that you found everything, you're back to where you were when you started. And I got to rebuild everything. So it's like, okay, what could have been like a whole like season of intrigue and mystery and like trying to search for everything immediately gets bundled up into three episodes. I don't think they wanted to rush through it. Then you get into a side story of kind of like the aftermath from the uh, inciting incident in the first episode, even kind of the aftermath from it. It goes some places. Well, I wasn't expecting to. I don't know if it's either good or bad yet. It's interesting, especially when they start talking about like the vortex. But the thing is that all these like big climactic events that they list are over within three episodes. It's like this was made for CW or in that vein of teen drama CW, but. If everything gets wrapped up within three episodes, then are there really that big of stakes that you're trying to make for your main character? Yeah, so, so part of the Sandman is that it's like the dream world does exist, but humans can only access it when they're sleeping. Um, and they can't take anything with them. But 
the Sandman Dream World can interact with the real world if need be, not the necessarily the other way around. Eh, does it work? At times, it feels like it does, but as a full series, four ten episodes. Well, technically eleven episodes because they dropped a, a bonus episode um, this week, does or last night actually. Uh, does it work? Kind of. There's a lot of good, interesting stuff here, but it feels like the showrunners um, wanted to rush through certain aspects to get to other stuff, but then realized, wait, we can solve this logically real quickly, and it just kind of like spirals from there. Like People who you think are going to be like the main villain of the season don't really end up being the main villain of the season, or that they disappear for three or four episodes, and it's like, oh yeah, by the way, this person's still around. Um, because there's no set main villain, because you don't know even halfway through who is the big bad, and if they are even that big of a bad, doesn't really capture and raise the stakes and holds my interest. It, it more or less falls in line with something that exists for a fantasy purpose, but doesn't exist as, or shouldn't exist as a full series TV show if there's no through narrative. It feels more like um, big chunk episodics, in a sense. Uh, it works on some levels. I, I do like the aspect of like that Neil Gaiman's going for but you also got David S. Goyer as a writer, and we know that he's not all that adept in writing. Um, see Batman v Superman, see Man of Steel. Uh, so there are problems with the story, especially when you end the story that you think that we think you're on as an audience abruptly, because you know he's the Sandman, he's Morpheus, he's the the, dream, the king of gods, the god of the god of dreams. And when you have like that powerful character you're going to get into a Superman problem of, oh, he's too powerful. How am I going to write a good antagonist against this? It just has too many problems for me to make me want to either find out more about in this universe or come back to it as a series. It's just okay. It exists, it's there, and it's just okay. I think one of my main problems with it is the main character who is a very Robert Pattinson-looking character. Um, he, the way he acts and speaks is very reminiscent of Robert Pattinson in Twilight um, as uh, Edward. Yeah, let's go with that. As Edward um, in the Twilight series, where he's very stone-faced, very deep-voiced, very pretty boy-looking, but doesn't actually move and do a whole lot, not a whole lot of action, it's a lot of deep voice and talking, and if I talk like this, then I am the king of dreams, and I speak with a very Victorian age of, like, repertoire and very, um, like, old, like, Victorian style of speaking because he's an immortal being, and that's where he, he settled on, instead of, like, newfound slang. It works-ish, but there's definitely some spots where I was like, well, can't this part be fleshed out? I'd like to see more here 
rather than just trying to rush through it, especially in the first episode. There's a lot going on in that first episode that I'd love to have more fleshed out or feel like they could have, like, gotten more into the story or at least, like, stretched it out. But no, it's... It feels rushed. It feels like they're rushing to something, but they never explicitly say what they're rushing towards or why they need to rush towards it. And that is where it falls for me. Now, on the other hand, um, outside of Netflix, there's two shows on Disney Plus that I watched. One I should have talked about last week, uh, but I forgot to write it down, and I'll tell you why I forgot about it. It's the I Am Groot shorts. Uh, this is not a series. These are five separate shorts starring the titular Groot in five mini misadventures. Think Pixar shorts. And that's exactly how you should think of these. These are in essence, Pixar shorts. And Pixar shorts are good for tech demos, for testing stuff. And that's exactly what it felt like I Am Groot does. Uh, I Am Groot is directed by, uh, oh gosh, I probably have had their name up here. Uh, but one of the, the art directors that's done stuff for um, like everything, everywhere, all at once, and the recent um, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, um, really hands-on artsy or art, artistic art department taking their hands right here with I Am Groot in directing. And that's mainly what it feels. It feels like a tech demo. It feels like a checklist of, okay, we need to have Groot as your main character. We need to have him interact in mud. We need to have him interact with water. We need to have him interact with fire. We need to have him interact with um, confetti, with uh, size, with people, with... Uh, no, not people, but like other characters, other creatures uh, interacting with a, poly, a polymorphic uh, character. Um, there's a lot of, while watching these, there's a lot of like, oh, that's a checklist uh, for animation. That's a checklist, checklist, checklist. It felt like it was more checklist and less um, sto any story or any narrative or any short. They're fun. They're kind of cute, uh, but they don't derive anything other than a checklist. It does feel like this is the tech demo for eventual, like, fully animated MCU film. Yes, more so than what we've seen in terms of, like, blue screen and green screen. That this does feel more in line with, like, okay, can we turn, let's essentially, the character of Groot and Rocket into a full-length feature. But instead of doing, like, just right off the bat, a 90-minute feature, we're going to do five minutes at a time here and create this, well, essentially half-hour, six shorts broken up over uh, five minutes and see if we can, what we can do, what technology do we have to work with, where can we improve on, um, what can we do with, what we currently have. I keep knocking this to Pixar because we've seen them do the exact same thing. Actually, the perfect example of this is Jack-Jack uh, Attack. I think it's Jack-Jack Attack. It's the one with, uh, or maybe it's Edna, the one with Edna Mode and Jack-Jack. Um, that is a perfect example of a tech demo where in that one short... 
So you had Jack-Jack multiply, you had Jack-Jack turn into smoke, you have turn into fire, water, heat, bubbles, metal, refraction, reflection, like all these different uh, cookies, crumbles, uh, all these different like techniques and different coatings and stuff that made it feel more of a tech demo of look what we can do with this limited, um, not just the limited structure of being in a single room, but these two limited characters and see like what can we do rather than, okay, now that we know what we can do, let's tell a story using these tools. I feel that's where it's going with I Am Groot. Sorry, a little bit of winded there, uh, but it's definitely a tech demo. Um, the second one, second show also on Disney Plus premiered, She-Hulk, uh, starring Tatiana Maslany of uh, Orphan Black, officially joining the MCU as She-Hulk, Bruce's cousin. Uh, Bruce Banner's cousin turns into the new Hulk uh, due to unforeseen incident uh, revolving a not-so-sanitary blood transfusion. A very comic booky, very uh, how do I put? Yeah, I didn't like how they like made her the Hulk. It just felt very like we need to make it somehow. So let's do it like in the most like concise way possible, and doesn't I, I, like once you get over that hurdle, the show then the show starts picking up speed. And the show starts running, and it's great. Good social commentary. It's a show made by women, directed by women, written by women, starring women, made for women. But there's a lot of stuff in there that's very comic booky, very Marvel-esque, that makes it a step up from the other stuff. I definitely like She-Hulk a lot better than I like Moon Knight, and I like it a whole lot better than I liked Hawkeye. Uh, and I think those are the last two big ones. Still not as good as Loki, but I think that's because Loki works on a multiversal level, which I'm more into, rather than the kind of intimate stuff uh, that is more in line with, like, Hawkeye and Moon Knight. I like She-Hulk um, right now from what I've seen. Interesting to see where it's going to go from the, from the next, for the season. I think it's eight episodes, um, maybe six, but weird that they only did a one-episode premiere instead of a two-episode premiere like they've done previously with Moon Knight, with Hawkeye. Uh, so, She-Hulk. It's there. It's on Disney+. Plus. We'll talk about it more uh, either when Matt comes back and watches it or once we've hit the conclusion of it, which will be in six weeks. I think that's all I watched. I'm pretty sure I watched some more stuff. A little bit more of watching the Generation Gap every now and then turn it on. Baseball season is indeed winding down. Playoff pictures starting to come to focus as we turn the corner here into August into the home stretch, pun intended, the last month of baseball. Otherwise, college football right around the corner. You'll be watching a lot of football coming up here as preseason continues. All right, so let's get into some cancellation and renewals. Just two shows. Well, really one show. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Officially coming back for a 15th season on VH1. And The Continental, uh, which is a spin-off series based on the John Wick franchise. 
first season, originally supposed to go to Stars, but is now switching to Peacock, coming out next year in 2023. And with that, we've come to movie section. And we start the movies with the weekend box office. First up, Bullet Train, your number one film with $13 million, bringing its total to $54 million. Coming up to number two, Top Gun Maverick with $7 million, bringing its total to $673 million domestically. At three, DC League of Super Pets with another $7 million, bringing its total to $58 million. At four, Thor Love and Thunder with another $5 million, bringing its total to $325 million. And rounding out your top five is Jordan Peele's Nope with another $5 million. And that is at $107 million domestically. Your other big release was Mac and Rita, coming in at 12 making just over $1 million. Um, coming up next week on the 26th, we have Samaritan, which is the uh, rock, Rocky movie, not Rocky, uh, starring Rocky, starring Sylvester Stallone as the silent undercover or long forgotten superhero in the Samaritan think unbroken but or, or unbreakable unless Shyamalan's unbreakable but for a new generation I don't know maybe uh, that's the Samaritan we also have the invitation I uh, don't know what that is and breaking also getting a wide release um, now May or may not actually be coming out next week. Let me confirm here. Is is uh, three thousand years of longing? This is out this week. Yeah, so three thousand years of longing actually got moved up uh, to this week. It was supposed to be uh, next week, but it got moved up a week. Um, that is with Tilda Swinton and Idris Il- Elba as starring as a genie. And that is 3,000 Years of Longing um, by George, uh, George Romero, probably. I think it's George Romero. Um, I'm probably going to try and check this out if I can. Uh... Who's the director here? Yeah, George Miller. George Romero. George Romero is the horror director. George Miller, yes, of of Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max. Um, yeah, so that's coming out this or next week as well. Definitely going to try and find that one. Uh, Breaking, uh, starring John Boyega, who's a military, trying to uh, break back into civilian life. And then the invitation, I believe, was dropped. Oh, no, right there. Thriller. Horror thriller. All right. And those are your releases for next week. All right. So let's get into the movie news, shall we? And we start... With Lord of the Rings, or rather, crossover maybe? 
So the Swedish video game company Embracer Group has acquired Middle Earth Enterprises, which is a division of the Sol Zanact Company, who owns the intellectual property catalog and worldwide rights to the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. What this means is that Embracer Group will pick up the motion picture, video game, board game, merchandising, theme parks, and stage production rights relating to the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit franchises, as well as matching rights in other Middle-Earth-related literary works authorized by the Tolkien Estate and HarperCollins, which have yet to be explored. As part of the deal, Middle-Earth Enterprises will form part of a newly founded operative group, Embracer Free Mode. Whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? Embracer Free Mode. The company will continue to operate independently under the existing Middle-Earth Enterprises leadership team. Key upcoming works that are set in Middle-Earth, in which Middle-Earth Enterprises has financial interest in, include Amazon's upcoming series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, uh, which is due coming out September 2nd, as well as the Warner Brothers animated movie, The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Roarum, which is set to release in 2024, and the EA mobile game, The Lord of the Rings, Heroes of Middle-Earth. So, Lord of the Rings now has a new uh, a new investor in it, Embracer Group. They will now officially control all Lord of the Rings IP. Now we're just waiting for the news for when Disney eventually buys Embracer Group and Lord of the Rings will fall under Disney because Disney has all the money to do that. I believe this deal, Embracer Group, was for $375 million dollars. Either that or seven hundred fifty. I think it was either three seventy five or seven fifty, which I know is either like like half or double. <laughs> but um, considering that uh, Amazon's spending about like a billion dollars over five seasons on Lord of the Rings, yeah, makes you a little bit curious as to why they chose Embracer Group or how Embracer Group was able to pull this money together for it. But IP, uh, Middle Earth IP. It's big, it's costly, it's going to go everywhere. Um, so yeah, if you haven't gotten enough Middle Earth yet, you're going to get a lot more because Embracer Group and uh, Embracer Free Mode are going to need to get that investment back somehow. So expect more properties and more Middle Earth to come soon. But maybe not to your local screen because Regal Cinema's owners, uh, sorry, rolling right to our second story, Regal Cinema owner, Cineworld, is preparing to file for bankruptcy within the next few weeks. After the post-pandemic return to cinemas didn't prove as profitable as expected. The London-based Cineworld is expected to file for bankruptcy in both the UK and US, having amassed, oh boy, $4.8 billion in debt. Cineworld operates in more than 9,000 screens across 
151 locations around the world. Quote, Despite a gradual recovery of demand since reopening in April of 2021, meaning April of last year, recent admission levels have been below expectations. These lower levels of admissions are due to the limited film slate that is anticipated to continue until November 2022 and are expected to negatively impact trading and the group's liquidity position in the near term. Cineworld uh, said in a statement earlier this week. So, what this means is that Cineworld took out some loans to the tune of $4.8 billion, and now that loan is coming due. Unfortunately, the slate that was supposed to occur this year, in terms of movies, between December and summer, didn't quite hit the expectations in, that Cineworld had in terms of recuperating some of that cost to Regal Cinemas, to the other international cinemas that they own, and as a result, cannot pay the loan back, meaning they have to file for Chapter uh, 16, uh, Chapter 8, sorry, Chapter 8 bankruptcy, restructuring. Not officially closing down, uh, like Chapter 11, but Chapter 8 restructuring their debt in bankruptcy. Um, dude, uh, there's a little fun note in here that the statement that they said, in that statement released, they said that they wished and hoped that uh, their stock would be a mean stock in direct reference to AMC being upheld by means, uh, being a mean stock and being upholded by uh, Reddit users and uh, individual investors, that if that was happening to them, then yes, they could have saved. Uh, she could have saved, she could have had enough money to combat and have enough to pay off these debts. However, not a whole, however, that wasn't the case. And now the bill comes due and they can't pay their debt. So bankruptcy, um, this doesn't mean that your, this doesn't mean that your local regal cinema is gonna go away. It just means that it may be put up for sale um, within a year, um, maybe restructured to be sold off and under a new label. Because uh, as we reported here before, Alamo Draft House looking to buy new properties. Either that or AMC is just gonna be like, hey, we have all this money, we'll buy it and just put another AMC there. Uh, or, you know, uh, what's the other one? Hawkins is the other one out there. Starlight as well. Um, you know, there's other theater groups, but Cineworld and Regal Cinemas is the second biggest cinema next to AMC worldwide. So this is definitely a big blow in terms of theater market share. All right. Well, we've been talking for an hour. We're almost done. I say almost because I've got two movies talk about uh the and surprisingly both of these films are only 90 minutes now last week i talked about bell which is available on hbo max so it's only fitting that today uh this week i talk about the counter to bell a beast uh but not that beast this is idris elba 
in the jungle fights a lion beast um directed uh by baltazar cormacher cormacher um who also did adrift who also did uh contraband um he's back and he is directing beast starring idris elba and uh shortly copeland for the uh how do I say his name? Charlotto Copley. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah, Charlotto Copley. So, the um, the guy from District Nine. The guy from Chappie. The uh, South African uh, actor. Um, but merely the main star is Idris Elba. It's ninety minutes. It sounds short, but there's a lot going on in this, and it runs pretty fast at a very fast, pretty good space. There's enough time in here to um, breathe. There's enough time in here to know the characters, to raise the stakes, slowly raising the stakes um, as it's set in Africa, and Idris Elba has to protect his two daughters from a lion who's trying to get at them. Now, what the you've probably seen the commercials, but what the commercials don't do so well is tell you that this thing, this movie, a lot of it's done in long takes. A lot of it's done with very minimal cutting, minimal minimal action. A lot of this isn't um, action, cut, 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 cut that you've seen in today's uh, a lot of today's modern action films. This is long. This is these are drawn out scenes. These are actors acting in a continuous motion take. And I really liked it. I praised the director on it. Two thumbs up on it. Um, on the directing skills of this. Uh, I liked the long takes. It allows you to sit and breathe with the actors. It allows them to like fully act and fully develop and be fully invested. It also lets the world feel fully lived in. As you're make either making your way through a village the camera is coming in and out of a car the actors are you definitely feel that they're in danger it's not like cut okay now we're going to pick this up over here and still be like have this feared look on face no it's one continuous action one continuous motion and that's what i really liked about this film not a whole else that i liked but if you liked it's as if the director saw the revenant um, with Leonardo DiCaprio and the CGI bear and said, okay, I like the Revenant because it also had the long takes in it, uh, man fighting against CGI animal. Take that aspect of it, and that's what this film essentially boils down to. It's long takes with battles against CGI lion. There's some, like, low-key aspect there's some low-key um layers into it about like the laws of the jungle and like being the the alpha male being the pride like the alpha male of your family that like the pride of the family um in terms of like lions and like protecting your family there's definitely some context in there that that's not that subtle <laughs> i'll just put it that way uh, they really much nailed the head, put the nail to the hammer on that one. Uh, 
but it doesn't really go a whole lot deeper than that. Um, if you want to see Idris Elba punch a lion, you'll see Beast. Um, otherwise, it's definitely probably more of a streamit film, uh, but definitely one worth watching, especially if you're in film school, about long takes and letting actors breathe and live into the role. I really like long takes. I really like the direction on this. I'd like to see what they do next, but as I mentioned on the previously on this podcast, this is the same guy that did Adrift, which is the Shanley Woodley I can act thing. Um, so kind of the same thing here. It's Aegis Elba I can act, but we already know Aegis Elba can act. So it's I, I liked it. Uh, I mean, I liked it for what it was. It's 90 minutes. It's not that long. It doesn't overstay its welcome, and everything about it moves at a brisk, fast pace. Um, everything is, seems to be done logically. It's very concise and to the point. Can't really say that about my next film that I watched, but I can say that I probably enjoyed it a little bit longer, a little bit more, because it helped right here. A little child in me talking about Dragon Ball Super Superheroes. That's right. I did not stutter there. The official title is called Dragon Ball Super colon Super Heroes. And this is the next film in the Dragon Ball Super canon uh, following the events of Dragon Ball Super Broly. Uh, This is this film in the Dragon Ball universe is more or less the redemption of Piccolo and Gohan that most that a lot of fans have been wanting to see. That you don't have Goku and Vegeta there to um, to save the day. That you don't have um, Boo there to like save the day. You don't have like Broly there. You don't have like the super powered like mainstays that you think. To like all of a sudden, like wait, having the wait for Superman, probably where they're going to show up and save the day. That's not what this film is. This film is more or less taking where Dragon Ball Z left off and said, "What if we continued that arc and actually made a, made Gohan and Piccolo the main characters now?" And that's kind of what this is, especially when you're talking about sins of the father with uh, talking about throwbacks here, Red Ribbon Army. Coming back into here. Um, Dr. Giro and androids. Coming back into here. Uh, A lot of. Those aspects that. People may have liked. From Dragon Ball Z. Being thrown. Back into here for Dragon Ball Super. Colon Super Heroes. Um, It's not that deep. It's very straightforward on its face. Um, Some of it is trying to talk about. Like. What does it mean to be a hero? How do you know like what you're doing is for the good? How people can be manipulated? Propaganda. But at the end of the day, you know who's going to win. You know who's going to come out on top. That being said, there are two new transformations in this film. Hype! So much hype. Um, Piccolo finally reaches God Piccolo form. Um, being made fun of. Uh, like in t- a lot of tongue in cheek in canon, uh, calling it like based off the color, much of the same way that 
Super Saiyan God, Super Saiyan was just renamed Super Saiyan Blue. So he also just decides to name it a color. Um, and then Gohan going back into Ultimate Gohan form, which we haven't seen in quite some time. And maybe even true Ultimate Gohan form? Maybe? Unsure? But uh, when you do see the power-ups, they're, they're nice. They're not on the screen for that long. But a lot of what this film does is that it's like, hey, remember this happened? And then shows like a still of like something happened or a quick shot of something happened. Like, hey, remember this from Dragon Ball? Remember this from Dragon Ball Z? Remember this from the other movie? Remember this from the show? It's a lot of that. Like, hey, we remembered all this because we're not like, it's them trying to comment on themselves that, yes, we do live in this world and we do pay attention. It's like, yes, we do remember all this stuff happening. It's not like the constant um, season reset of now we forget everything. Like we do, uh, like play a new video game and a sequel. It's like, oh, we have to forget everything that we learned before because we got to start fresh. We got to start new somehow. No, a lot of remember this, remember that. Um, there's also a lot of nods and winks to the MCU, especially nod and winks to uh, Wakanda, nod and winks to Spider Man, nod and winks to like old school. Um, Batman DC with like the, the pow and the hits and like the text on screen. A lot of nods and winks into that kind of aspect of superheroes. Uh, but it's still a Dragon Ball film. Um, you're going to get your power ups, you're going to get your screams, you're going to get your action. S- little bit about the animation. Uh, there's one action here I wish they kind of didn't do, but needs a shoehorn in for some reason. Uh, making Bulma. Once again, like a sex object in a way, and I mean that in the nicest way, but I also can't. When the first shot you have of her is big booty butt right in your face, just animated big booty butt, and then you use a Dragon Ball wish to make your butt smaller. Yeah, you someone didn't know how to write that character, someone just threw something in there just to uh. That part left a bad taste in the mouth. I didn't really like that. Uh, you, you can definitely do better. Uh, but outside of that, I had fun with it. It's just little things like that that can really like take you out and ruin it. I know it's supposed to be made for jokes. It's supposed to be played for laughs. But you can do better than that. You can make other either aging jokes or other like misplacement jokes like that. You don't need to... like. Right, giant right in your face. It's just that that just part just took me out. Um, outside of that, it's a fun movie. Um, there's some stuff that I wish they had more of in there. Uh, a lot of gags, maybe one or two many gags at times. Uh, this and then your giant beam and struggle fight. It's fine. Um, I'm didn't really have any expectations going in to see it. Uh, it was good, but not great. Um, Broly was great. This was good, but not great. Uh, it's it, There's definitely a lot of stuff that they can do better. Um, they're not going to stop making Dragon Ball Super stuff. Um, that's not where all this is going. It's nice to see um, Goku and Vegeta being sidelined for once, so that way they're not dependent on them. 
how they were sidelined, yeah, may or may not like be the most relevant thing to the film. Uh, they could have just had like either like left them off screen, but you know, then it's like, oh, like you had a Dragon Ball film without Goku and Vegeta. What were you thinking? And it's like, okay, so they were on screen, they were there. A fight happened between them. Doesn't really count. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really have any stakes to the film. So, why did we need this in the film? There's a lot of problems with it that make me really like high praise this film. But what we did get and what we did, um, what they were trying to show and get through, I did enjoy. Oh wow! Look at that. Uh, solo cast, but still, uh, eighty minutes of your time. That'll and that'll do it for me. Matt will be back next week. We'll be uh, back with more live shows. We'll have more thoughts. Matt will definitely have travel thoughts uh, for everything that he consumed media wise and probably food wise as well. If you want to check out our socials, we go live on YouTube to search Media Belt Podcast on YouTube, um, on Facebook Media Belt Podcast, on Twitter or Media Belt Cast on Twitch. Uh, media boat on twitch.tv um, you can find uh, all these podcasts in your podcasting feeds Apple Google Play um, Spotify any of your podcasting feeds um, and we'll be there Pandora I think as well um, we'll be back well I'll be back next week I'll be back next week we'll have a full episode next week and you won't just be hearing my voice the entire time um, with that I'll see you guys next week. Okay, bye.